Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to curiositystream.com slash not overthinking. For less than $15 a year, you get access to thousands of high quality documentaries on CuriosityStream, and you'll also get a special link to our podcast feed with all of the ads taken out. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello, and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you today? Mate, I'm so tired. I know, look, I know this is now the third podcast in a row, but I am absolutely knackered, mate. (laughs) Uh, Why are you always tired? Basically, okay, so this weekend, this weekend I would have had a chance to catch up on sleep, but I had to go to uh, Raysbury Lake, a lake near Heathrow Airport, to dive in seven degree cold water. Both days, I had to wake up at 7 a.m. to go to this stupid lake, <laughs> to dive to the bottom of this lake. Both days for a, uh, to get my scuba diving certification, which will let me scuba dive wherever I want. So to become a scuba diver, you had to wake up at 7 a.m. and go into this freezing-ass lake? Two times. Two times, across two different days. Consecutively. Bloody hell. Yeah. Well, you know what you could have done instead of waking up to do the scuba diving class? Done an online scuba diving <laughs> class? You could have done an online class on Skillshare, <laughs> who are kindly sponsoring this video. So, Tamo, uh, w- w- what is Skillshare? Would you like to tell the audience? Skillshare is the best way to teach yourself anything online. It's like Netflix for learning stuff. Yeah, they've got online classes on all sorts of things, from you know graphic design and illustration to web design to even cooking. I've enjoyed taking some of the cooking classes on Skillshare. Um, and yeah, they've just got classes from a huge, huge assortment of, uh, of areas to choose from. Uh, some personal favorites of mine. Tamor, can you remember them? We've talked about them a few times. Uh, yeah, I like my friend Thomas Frank's productivity course on Skillshare. Uh, productivity class on Skillshare. <laughs> God, every single time. And uh, I actually have my own video editing course on Skillshare. Right. <laughs> my mate, Thomas Frank. I think he's my mate. We're, we're, we're friends over the internet. He's got a really good productivity class on Skillshare, which you check out, called Productivity Fundamentals. How to design your own productivity system. Um, he's got another one about habit change. Uh, and habit change is something that you need to get into, Taymor, because you're not sleeping very well, are you, these days? No. So you could benefit from Thomas's uh, class on how to develop healthy habits and be a better person and all that. And if anyone's listening and they want to you know, fancy themselves starting becoming a YouTuber or something, you should definitely check out my own online class uh, on Skillshare about how to edit videos with Final Cut Pro. And actually, sneak peek for the podcast, haven't, haven't, ha- haven't announced this before, I'm actually working on, on another Skillshare class, which is going to be all about how to study for exams effectively. And that's going to come out in like March sometime. So if you sign up to a free trial of Skillshare at www.skillshare.com forward slash not overthinking, you will get a two month free trial. And in those two months, you'll get access to my own, you know, how to study for exams class, which is upcoming. And you can see all of the other classes. So basically Skillshare is amazing. Thanks guys for sponsoring the video. Skillshare.com forward slash not overthinking. Alrighty. What are we talking about today? Well, we're doing a tweet discussion today. Now, there is this tweet, which I discovered through Tim Ferriss's uh, weekly email newsletter uh, by a guy called uh, Gurvinder G uh, at G underscore S underscore Bogal. Bogal. So, you know, we'll put his profile in the show notes and check him out, etc. Um, the tweet says, mega thread time. In 40 tweets, I will describe 40 powerful concepts for understanding the world. Some are complex, so forgive me for oversimplifying, but the main purpose is to incite curiosity. Okay, here we go. So basically, 40 tweets. 40 powerful concepts of understanding the world. Are you excited? I'm absolutely buzzing. Yeah. <laughs> you look absolutely buzzing at this point. Yes. 
Right. Let's do it. Do you want to talk about the first one? Oh, he's uh, stolen your trademark. <laughs> no. What's he done? Have a look at the first tweet. Oh, God. He's literally stealing from you. You should sue him for this. <clears throat> All right. Number one. Whoa. Okay. <laughs> Causal reductionism. That's problematic. Okay. So ca- causal reductionism, he says, he says, uh, things rarely happen for just one reason. Usually outcomes result from many causes conspiring together, but our minds cannot process such a complex arrangement. So we tend to ascribe outcomes to single causes, reducing the web of causality to a mere thread. Yep. I'm on board. Yeah, me too. Should we move on? Uh, I have a thing that I often think about, which is related to this, which is, uh, I think it's kind of, there's a, lot, there's a lot of concepts that are kind of related to this. One of them is the narrative fallacy, which is the tendency that we all have to come up with nice, short and simple explanations for why something happened, uh, which often, you know, it just isn't the case. And one thing that I've been thinking related to this is how basically everything is really highly dimensional. Like there's lots of aspects to everything. But when we talk to other people, we it's very hard to speak uh, it's, it's very hard to account for lots of dimensions when you speak about something. And so we kind of reduce every uh, lots and lots of things to a single dimension. Um, and uh, I think a lot is lost in the process of, uh, you know, reducing things to single dimensions. Yeah, I like the framing of this as a narrative fallacy. So I was I was being interviewed on, on, on a, another podcast called Misfits uh, this morning, actually. Check me out. Exactly. Um, and one of the things the guy asked me was, uh, he said something like, you know, uh, how did your how did your and your brother's background and upbringing in kind of Africa, Pakistan, Africa, the UK, how did that lead to the the entrepreneurialism and the tech stuff? Oh, and give me a break. <laughs> I mean, it's a reasonable question, but I will I kind of caveated it a lot saying that, you know, it's very easy to retrofit the events to a sort of a, a narrative and be like, oh, actually, all this, you know, here here is the narrative thread that happened as we grew up and that led to this, and which led to that. But actually, there were so many factors that kind of came together and it was hard to sort of actually describe all of them. And I'm sure there were hundreds that I just was not even aware of myself. So causal reductionism on board with concept number one. Okay, we we probably spent like three, four minutes on this. Yeah, we need to speed up. <laughs> we can't. No, 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 we shouldn't speed up. We yeah. should put two parts. No, just yeah. <laughs> stop trying to like we milk split, content we for one hour of your life. Split the podcast into four and we can do 10 tweets each and we can release them at staggered intervals across the next year so that when we have a week where we're both feeling lazy, we can just go back to this mega thread. No, that's a good idea. For the ones where we, you know, it's a concept or whatever and we don't have anything to say, we just say, cool, and we can move on. And that's literally just... why I said for this one, you were like, uh, uh, well, uh, I've actually got a point about this. No, I had a, po- I had a point about that. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> right, you read the next one. Uh, ergodicity. A die rolled 100 times has equal probabilities to 100 dice rolled once. Rolling a die is ergodic. But if the die gets chipped after 10 throws, so it's likelier to roll four then one die 100 times is not equal to 100 dice once. It's non-ergodic. Many treat non-ergodic systems as ergodic. All right, th- th- let's just move on. We're not, I've been hearing this bandied about recently, and I, haven't, I, I don't feel like I understand the intuition behind it. And we, we studied, I mean, we studied you know, the maths of where this comes from. You know, um, we studied ergodic stuff in probability courses, and... I still don't feel like I really understand what these uh, mental model bros are talking about when they go on about ergodicity. So let's move on. 
Yeah, that particular one has fewer retweets than the other one. So I guess not only only 202 people understood that one. So uh, we're not one of those 202. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, point number three. Uh, three is the Dunning-Kruger effect, uh, which is the awareness of the limitations of cognition uh, requires a proficiency in metacognition. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right, bro. Come on. Ah, here we go. In other words, being stupid makes you too stupid to realize how stupid you are. Uh, I think the more common like framing of this is that uh, people who have a small amount of knowledge about a certain thing uh, tend to overestimate their knowledge, and people who have a larger amount of knowledge about something, you know, tend to know that they don't know much. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm, I'll be honest. I'm not a fan of this phrasing. In other words, being stupid makes you too stupid to realize how stupid you are. I guess that sort of uh, phrasing would resonate with some of the mental model bros. But yeah, I think the Dunning-Kruger effect is important to to keep in mind. But I, I also think partly it's it's useful. So, for example, um, I, w- I was listening to an interview with Alex Banayan, who wrote the book The Third Door, which is a fantastic book. Um, and he was being interviewed by another writer called Rolf Potts. Um, and Rolf was saying that, you know, uh, when Alex set out to write this book, he had no idea how, how difficult it would be. He was like, oh, I'm going to write a book. How hard can it be? It was sort of really Dunning-Kruger style. Mm. But he said that if he'd realized how hard it was going to be, he would never have done it. So I think Dunning-Kruger, the, the Dunning-Kruger effect does benefit us in some extent, sort of where you profit from the naivety that you get at the start of doing something when you realize when you don't realize how hard it's going to be. But important thing to keep in mind. Right, number four, emergence. When many simple objects interact with each other, they can form a system that has the qualities that the objects themselves don't. For example, neurons creating consciousness. Point number two, traders creating the stock market. Number three, simple mathematical rules creating living patterns. Yep. Yep, cool. All right, <laughs> what's, what's number five? Five is cultural paras- parasitism. Uh, which is an ideology parasitizes 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 an ideology parasitizes the mind changing the host's behavior so they spread it to other people therefore a successful ideology is not configured to be true it is configured only to be easily transmitted and easily believed oh i think this is interesting so um i have i haven't heard it framed this way before but um there are certain uh truths that we hold true well you know truths that we hold true that are very easily transmitted through like society and i think these are very interesting so you know an an intuition like having kids makes your life more meaningful is the sort of thing that naturally gets transmitted because the people who have kids need to peddle that narrative in order to make their own life choices seem legit and the people that don't have kids don't peddle that narrative and therefore it doesn't actually propagate through the gene pool (laughs) and so sort of by by virtue of what the narrative is, it ends up being spread out, spread through society that having kids is a meaningful thing. I don't think that's what he's getting at here, man. Really? An ideology parasitizes the mind, changing the host behavior so they spread it to other people. I mean, it kind of sounds like that. Having kids, then you think like, oh, kids are making me happy and you transmit that ideology to other people. I think what this is, I mean, the, kid, you, the kid's example you're saying is just that like... Okay, fine. The kid's example is an experience that okay not an ideology the fir- okay i think the first half of this guy's tweet is irrelevant he's just like you know using some colorful language to describe you know people believing in ideas i think the key thing is that the ideologies that are spread more, most far and wide are, are the ones that are easily transmitted and easily believed not necessarily the ones that are true for like the, the kids example you're giving there's nothing about that in particular that makes it easily transmitted. It's it's like a general thing. Like I think what he's saying is that like it comes back to again the stuff I was saying about like multidimensionality, or whatever. It's that like 
the the complicated nuanced stuff will not get spread around because it's hard to it's hard to transmit and you know requires work to like believe whereas the sort of simple kind of narratives oh like if you vote conservative you're a selfish prick that sort of thing yeah sure it's a simple enough narrative to transmit yeah so like yeah it's just like a communication um bottleneck fine Um, i'm with you on that one right next we have cumulative error mistakes grow beliefs are built on beliefs so one wrong thought can snowball into a delusional worldview likewise as an inaccuracy is reported on the web more is added to it creating fake news in our networked age cumulative errors are the norm yep okay fine uh the next one is survivorship bias we overemphasize the examples that pass a visibility threshold uh for example our understanding of serial killers is based on the ones who got caught uh, equally news is only news if it's an exception rather than the rule but since it's what we see we treat it as the rule this is often this often comes up in like the startup sphere where basically this this uh this dialogue will play out mo- many times a day on twitter someone will say ah oh, this com- this company is successful they do x thing uh therefore like you should do x thing to be successful and then someone else will be like oh well actually man that's like survivorship bias man like <laughs> you know i can find lots of companies that did x thing that weren't successful or whatever um so yeah survivorship bias is basically that like we only really hear from we don't hear from the people who died <laughs> you know yeah i can i can go i think it's something that. worth bearing in mind yeah uh, and uh, this is one of the main reasons why I don't find it particularly valuable to follow the news. Um, because, well, you know, the news is by definition uh, exceptional as opposed to, you know, normal. Dude, I think we should we should find someone who... Because, like, I, I obviously don't read the news. Uh, but we should find someone who's willing to argue against that. Yeah. And we should have it out on this podcast. <laughs> I, th- I think that would be good. If any of our listeners fancy taking a trip to London uh, and arguing against us about whether the news is legit then please do get in touch all right the next one. Oh, this is a favorite this is simpsons paradox i've never heard of this before what is this uh well f- funny you should ask <laughs> uh it is a it, it, the simpsons paradox is that a trend can appear in groups of data but disappear when these groups are combined uh this effect can easily be exploited by limiting a data set show, shows exactly what one wants it to show thus beware of even the strongest correlations this like this really messed me up this one because now i basically i mean as a result of things like simpsons paradox and lots of other sort of statistical bits and bobs i just don't yeah i don't i don't really pay any attention to any numbers i hear in sort of any kind of mainstream context if someone on the news is you know if some like very non-specialist is saying anything about numbers it just goes in one ear out the other like Frickin' anytime someone says something about like, oh, studies, whatever, you know, studies show, again, for me, it just goes in one ear out the other. And I, I think I've gone too far in that direction where I just don't even, yeah, just, just don't bother with people trying to make cases based on like numbers in general. Um, but essentially, Simpsons Paradox is really cool because... You know, wait, I, I, did, I didn't quite understand it. He's, he's got a diagram here, but our listeners can't see the diagram. So yes. How does it work? Okay, so I'll, I'll give you an example of Simpsons Paradox. Please do. So let's say, let's say you, you run a business, all right? Okay, let's use your business as an example. You make YouTube videos, right? And let's say like the only, you know, let's say the only thing you care about is like views, all right? <laughs> That's pretty accurate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right, so... And and let's say, you know, you started off making like YouTube videos about, I don't know, like medicine stuff or something. Yep. But, you know, you want to you like branch out. 
you want to like attract different kinds of followings and stuff okay and so you know let's say over the past year you've been kind of uh expanding into different sort of niches yeah and maybe like uh you know in the first few months you were doing like the medical niche and then in the next few months you said oh let's do some tech and then maybe let's do some like health and fitness or whatever now if you plotted uh if you plotted uh sort of time on the x-axis yeah. so you know uh, the the medicine videos you made in January and February would be like at the start of this trial. And on y-axis, if you plotted like the views you get, you might see something like, uh, essentially, if, if you consider each group of videos mm. uh, as in each each topic independently, you'll probably see that like the first couple of videos you post about a topic like health or whatever get fewer views than the later ones because, you know, as you make more and more videos for a particular topic, you become more well-known in that topic and stuff and, and more people start to watch them, okay, sure. right? Um, and so like, you know, your, your medical videos, they start off not getting that many views and it starts to get more views. Uh, and then you move on to like another thing and it starts off not getting that many views and it gets more views and so on. And you kind of do this. And so within each topic, if you see what's going on, you know, you're, you're actually getting better. Like you're getting more views. However, if you plotted a chart of, of like the whole thing and you sort of showed, you know, that you were doing the medical videos in in January, which are like your specialty and getting loads of views. Mm. Whereas like, as you move into progressively kind of. Uh, different topics that aren't really the, your mainstream audience or whatever, you'd kind of see like a downward sloping chart because you're sort of moving into these territories that... Yeah, it's new stuff for me. Therefore, I'm getting fewer views overall. Yeah, exactly. But actually within each topic, I'm actually improving over time. Yeah, exactly. So Simpsons, Simpsons paradox is that if you look at the whole thing, you see a negative correlation yes. and think, oh, wow, my views are going down over time. But actually, if you look at the topics individually, you're yeah. seeing positive correlation. My, 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 my views are going up over time. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, that's interesting. Why is, why is that useful in real life? Huh? Like, what's the point of keeping this in mind? Because uh, basically, whenever you hear anything, now you also need to account for, hmm, what if there's a meaningful grouping that these guys aren't aware of or aren't telling me about, <laughs> you know? Oh. It really ruins, a lot. It ruins everything, man. <laughs> Fair enough. So the next one we've got is a con- Condorcet Paradox. Condorcet Paradox. A special instance of Simpsons Paradox applied to elections in which a populace prefers candidate A to candidate B, candidate B to candidate C, and yet candidate C to candidate A. This occurs because the majority that favors C is misleadingly divided among different groups. Okay, yeah, fine. All right. Uh, Limited hangout. This is a common tactic by journos, journalists, and politicians of revealing intriguing but relatively innocent info to satisfy curiosity and prevent discovery of more incriminating information. Uh, For example, a politician accused of snorting cocaine may confess to having smoked marijuana at college. What's marijuana? Huh? What's marijuana? I'm not sure, to be honest. Yeah? Um, I don't know what they're talking about there. And, uh, yeah, I think this is pretty cool. I think, like... I think like Trump just Trump does it a lot. Like he he sort of like says outrageous stuff on Twitter and and that kind of thing. And everyone's like, oh my god, I can't believe you said that. Whatever. Um, and I think much less serious, yeah, a- actual meaningful serious bad stuff that he does or has done sees the light of day because everyone's too busy like worrying about whatever random crap he's planning on Twitter. You know. True. Right. Next we have the focusing illusion. He says that nothing is ever as important as what you're thinking about while you're thinking about it. For example, worrying about a thing makes the thing being worried about seem worse than it is. As Marcus Aurelius observed, we suffer more often in imagination than in reality. Oh, this is right up my street. I'm big on Ooh, not stoicism. big on not suffering in imagination and actually just suffering in reality. So nice. All right, uh, next one is concept creep. 
Uh, as a social issue such as racism or sexual harassment becomes rarer, people react by expanding their definition of it, creating the illusion that the issue is actually getting worse. Uh, apparently, this guy has written a whole blog post about it. Uh, I don't think we should bother going there. Yeah. Yeah, although th- 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 this is interesting on the racism front. Like, as a social issue, issue such as racism becomes rarer, people react by expanding the definition of it, creating the illusion it's actually getting worse. Yeah. Like, you know... It, if you imagine like 10 years ago, you, like it was a big deal to accuse someone of being a racist. Yeah. Um, like it was a big deal. Whereas, you know, like five years ago when I was at university, like the narrative had changed such that like every, everyone who was white was pretty much racist by default because of the, of the society that they'd been brought up in and power yeah, yeah. and, 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 and all this stuff. And it was very much a case of, I felt expanding the definition, but Hey, I don't know anything about this topic. I just was a little bit uneasy about it at the time. Yeah. I think this is a weird one because the thing is, I think, like, I, I, he, I mean, he's defined this particular thing specifically in terms of, like, social issues like racism and sexism or whatever, mm. um, which seems a little strange to me because, I mean, I, I think it's more of a general... Yeah, I don't know. I think this is more of a general concept. On the, t- on the specific topic of, like, you know, how, how people use terms like racist and sexist, I think it's just, like, language evolving and there being a lag between the people who are using these terms you know uh, and the people who are on on the sort of receiving end of these terms and so for example if a you know student at a liberal elite university calls someone racist they actually have a different they have a very different conception of what that means than the person, know, who's racist. the person who's being called racist. The person who's like being called racist. The person being called racist thinks sort of the 10-year-old definition of racism. Yeah. It's whereas, like, like, you know, the worst thing you could be branded. Yeah. Um, so I think it's just like a changing indefinite. Yeah. Language evolves and changes and stuff. And different groups of people are kind of on different parts of the evolution curve. No, sure. But that's, it. That's, that's exactly what this guy's saying. He's calling a concept creep. Like the, the, the definition of racism has creeped up and up to encompass more and more things. Uh, yeah, sure. Yeah. Um, anyway, right, let's move on. Uh, right. Streetlight effect. People tend to get their information from where it's easiest to look. For example, the majority of research uses only the sources that appear on the very first page of Google search results, regardless of how factual they are. Cumulatively, this can skew an entire field. Yep. I buy this. I think we mentioned it on the podcast all the time, but like, oh, you should read more random stuff. Yep. Streetlight effect. Good stuff. Right. Next, we've got belief bias. Arguments we'd normally reject for being idiotic suddenly seem perfectly logical if they lead to conclusions we approve of. In other words, we judge an argument's strength not by how strongly it supports the conclusion, but how strongly we support the conclusion. Oh, bruv, I've got a good example of this. Oh, really, yeah. Right, give it me. really ticks me off. Right. What does, what does tick me you know, off mean? Huh? What does tick me off mean? Uh, you know, really just like grinds my gears. Oh, it's not, it's not like a euphemism. No. Okay, cool. Sorry, let's continue. So you know how some people say that the climate's changed <laughs> that was a joke uh no but so i think this comes up in like climate change stuff all the time where i will hear people who uh uh you know i was i don't know like last summer or something it was like uh yeah in the uk or whatever it's like oh my god like record hot summer or whatever blah blah, blah. and uh i i heard a few people say like uh you know a few like uh you know climate pro Pro climate change, not pro climate change, but like <laughs> the people, people who believe that climate change is real. People who, yeah, from people who believe climate change is real. I heard, I heard, yeah, you know, I, I occasionally heard people saying things like, oh my God, hottest summer ever, man. 
and these these idiots think climate change isn't real <laughs> like and um this is like oh, it's it's i think it's really funny because it's, it's the exact same argument that climate change deniers use which is like hey man i'm i'm pretty cold what <laughs> what global warming <laughs> Yeah. And 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 they all go along with it when it's yeah. like yeah, none of them are like calling each other out. No, like, exactly. Okay, dude. <laughs> like, this February is the coldest uh, the coldest February in like ten years. Oh my god, you know, more like global cooling. Am I right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I feel like people were serious about that. So, um, yeah, belief bias. That's interesting. Okay, cool. Next we have uh, pluralistic ignorance. So the phenomenon where a group goes along with the norm, even though all of the group members secretly hate it. Because each mistakenly believes that the others approve of it. Oh, I love it. The classic, I love it. The old board game, the board game <laughs> choice paradox. I feel like yeah, we should yeah. we, we we should christen that being a thing. Yeah, where everyone goes along with playing Monopoly because everyone thinks <laughs> that everyone else wants to play Monopoly, but actually everyone hates Monopoly and no one wants to be the naysayer who says, "Guys, do we actually really want to want to play Monopoly here?" Yep, love it when that happens. That's fantastic. All right, the next one is the Petri multiplier uh, in fields in which men outnumber women, such Uh-oh. as. What? Oh, dear. <laughs> oh. Uh, in fields in which men outnumber women, such as in STEM, uh, women receive an underestimated amount of harassment due to the fact that there are more potential givers than receivers of harassment. Okay. Uh, Wait, let me see that again. Yeah, so if you imagine... Oh, I see. Yeah, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Wait, what's he saying? Women receive an underestimated amount of harassment. Is he saying that women get harassed just because there are more men to do the harassing and fewer women to receive it? I would have... Th- thought based on what i would have thought he he'd be he might be saying something like women are like disproportionately more harassed because of like i'm not sure what he's saying to be honest i feel like so he's, if he's, he said if he said overestimated instead of underestimated i think i'd i'd like see what he's trying to say but i, I don't see what he's trying to say underestimated amount of harassment like is he trying to say that women actually receive more harassment than we are aware of just because of the fact that there are more potential givers than receivers Un- unless he's saying that of the of the amount of <laughs> this sounds really weird to talk about this. Uh, 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 un- unless he's saying that of the total amount of harassment that women receive in these sorts of fields a larger proportion than we think is due simply to the numbers difference no but that yeah as opposed to for example inherently men are evil or, that's what i thought i feel you... like i feel like that's what he's saying but then he should he should say overestimate no, women receive an underestimate in like we underestimate the amount of harassment that can be attributed attributed simply to the number size. Oh, I think that's what he's getting. Underestimate. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, who knows? Let's move on. I feel like for a lot of these, like he's he's trying to like specifically draw these abstract concepts to single controversial examples. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, we've we, we've got about women in STEM fields. We've got one about how sexual harassment definition has changed. Like, you know, it feels very uncomfortable talking about this on a podcast. Uh, all right, the next one is the woozle effect. Uh, an article makes a claim without evidence, is then cited by another, which is cited by another, and so on, until the range of citations creates the impression that the claim has evidence, when really all articles are citing the same uncorroborated source. Oh, people were bringing this when, uh, to the, this particular example to account with uh, Why We Sleep, you know, that book by Matthew Walker, yeah, which has been cited like millions of times. But then some dude on the internet wrote like a big rebuttal against like the first chapter of it. Everyone yeah. was like, oh my God, you know, it's terrible that this book's been cited so many times. Everyone thinks it's legit because it's been cited yeah, so yeah, many yeah, times. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's also, I, I think this is actually a really important one to think about because uh, I think... Yeah, and, and this is something, I, it, it sort of crops up from time to time in, like, tech stuff as well. I think I saw, like, a, a a tech meme about it, which was, like, when 
Yeah, basically, uh, apparently it's sometimes the case that when a company is raising money, uh, most of the investors who invest are only investing because they heard that someone else who they think is legit is investing. It's like, oh, so-and-so is investing? Yeah, I'm in. And then the next person is like, oh, so-and-so is investing? Yeah, I'm in. And so, like, if you look at it on the whole, it seems like, whoa, these guys have, like, raised a ton of money from, like, 20 different people. And you kind of see that as 20 independent people making the decision to invest. But it could really just be, like, one person or zero people actually doing the diligence to make the investment and everyone else just kind of bandwagoning. And I think it's also kind of the same thing where, I don't know, like if you look at people who are sort of considered in society as being like really successful, I think it's really just like, I, I think people overweight, you know, if someone has like 10 successes or, or if you want to call it that under their belt or something, uh, I think, uh, you know, one way to look at it is like, whoa, like this guy is like 10 successes. He must be like, you know, 10 times amazing or something when really the first success disproportionately leads to all the rest. And so you should think he's amazing for like the first one, but then disc- keep discounting the subsequent one. Oh, because it makes so it's, it like, easier. it's like if an author has like eight New York Times bestsellers. Yeah. It's probably only the first really that was difficult yeah. to get on the list. But, Bro, once you've then, got your first, yeah. <laughs> once you've got that audience, then suddenly everything you're going to make is going to become a bestseller. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really closely related to like uh, independent independence in probability stuff. It's like, it's exactly what that is. Nice. Uh, all right. Next, we have the Tocqueville Paradox, spelled T-O-C-Q-U-E-V-I-L-L-E, the Tocqueville Paradox. As the living standards in, in a society rise, the people's expectations of the society rise with it. The rise in expectations eventually surpasses the rise in living standards, inevitably re- resulting in disaffection and sometimes even populist uprisings. Yeah, this sounds pretty good. I think lots of people are saying it nowadays because like, there seems to be sort of two two narrative camps one nar- uh, in in the sort of in uh the in amongst your twitter feed you're in, saying in <laughs> the discourse tm <laughs> well one of which is like uh basically everything is going to shit and uh the world sucks and the other one of which is like hey guys let's take a step back and look at all these various ways in yeah, which the world like, have improved massively over poverty has improved crime has fallen all this sort yeah of stuff. yeah yeah and so yeah i think it's kind of like that yeah as standards rise expectations rise along with it i think honestly this i've i've yet to see a meaningful argument against you know just uh practical pessimism as a as a life philosophy where you just have really low expectations for almost every almost everything then life ends up being pretty good um i feel like there should be an argument against that but i've i've yet to come across one that's sort of well phrased i mean i'm i hope what you've said here is covered in another paradox that he mentions or another like fallacy he mentions because like you're talking about something that applies on an individual scale as if it's in the same category of what he's talking about, which is things that apply on like a larger scale. No, I'm, I'm saying it's in the same category because it's uh, basically... Uh, you're, you're saying... At, okay, no, you're saying at a society level, if everyone was just pessimistic and had low expectations, everyone would be better off? I'm saying everyone would be happier. All right, I think, and I think that applies at a societal level as well as an individualistic level. I think that's an extremely bold claim, but let's not go into it. Okay, we'll do that in the next tweet discussion. Uh, cool. The next one is ultimate attribution error. We tend to attribute good acts by allies to their character and bad acts by allies to situational factors. For opponents, it's reversed. Good acts are attributed to situational factors and bad acts to character. So this is, I think that uh, there's a really good example of this. Oh, I think I can't, I have a feeling this example came up organically in my life rather than me reading it somewhere where I remember. No way. <laughs> yeah <laughs> incredible uh, tell me more all right look 
Yeah, I remember like a bunch of years ago. I think I was in secondary school. I was maybe like, you know, we were living in South End. And I remember, uh, I, I think like Mimi was driving or something. And I think we were like pulling out of the cul-de-sac where we lived. And like, I don't know, someone else was like coming in like kind of fast or something. And like we almost crashed. Uh, and I think, um, I yeah, I think like, you know, we inside the car were kind of like, oh man, who's this, you know, who's this twat? Like, what's he doing driving so fast? What an asshole. Yeah. yeah. Like thinking like, oh, this guy's a, this guy's a prick. Um, and then I kind of thought, hmm. I wonder what would have happened if that was like, you know, the car, you know, the car of one of our friends who lives nearby or something. And they were like speeding down the thing. We'd probably just kind of laugh it off and think, oh, oh, haha, it, ha- it happens. You know, we've, we've all been there. <laughs> Classic save. Yeah. Yeah. Um, See, so yeah, I think that happens a lot. Yeah. I think, I don't know. I think like in, in general, I'm always very wary of attributing bad acts to character. I I always like to attribute it to situational factors. Yeah. And I think maybe I kind of overweight on this, but I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if that's necessarily a bad thing. Like often I've had people say to me that, oh, you know, but if you just think the best of everyone, then people are going to walk all over you. And I'm like, well, you know, <laughs> fine. But I yeah. don't think it actually has any negative effect on my life at all. And if I ever got to the point where I felt people were, were quote, walking over me, then I feel like I would draw the line somewhere. Um, but otherwise, I'm quite happy to attribute any form of, uh, sort of negative act as being an accident or ignorance or stupidity or busyness rather than malice yeah i buy that sweet right next we have the golden hammer when someone usually an intellectual who has gained a cultish following for popularizing a concept becomes so drunk with power he thinks he can apply that concept to everything <laughs> every mention of this concept should be accompanied by a picture of uh, nasim taleb <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty funny that's quite funny uh why can you given that you're more more familiar with this discourse than I am. Uh, to be honest, I'm not that well, I'm not as well versed in Taleb as you might think. Oh. Uh, but yeah, basically he has this idea that... Uh, anti-fragile. Uh, yeah, one of his ideas is anti-fragility. I think the core, the core like concept underlying his, all of his ideas is that the idea, is the idea that we vastly underestimate highly unlikely events. Okay. Because... Like one. Uh, yeah, because he he thinks most distributions are fat-tailed, and we you know don't consider them to be. Uh, we don't have to go into it. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Taleb some other time when when we both read his book. Uh, I've, oh, I've read his books. Mate. You've you actually read the book? Nah, come on, mate. You've not read the book. I've read the books. How many of them? Two. Uh, well, what proportion of those two have you read? I've definitely read at least a whole of one. At least a whole of one. Yeah. Okay, that's far more than I thought. I'm very impressed. I apologize for ah, uh, dude. I, your character. I missed a good joke opportunity. I always miss this one. What? Basically, <laughs> <laughs> when someone says, "Have you?" Because like I own a lot of books. I don't. I don't want to brag, but I own a lot of books, and I read very few of them. Yeah. <laughs> and so whenever anyone said like, "Have you? Have you read this thing?" The joke is that you say, "Read it." I own it, but no, I haven't read it. <laughs> Let's take it from the office. Michael Scott says this. <laughs> oh, that's a good joke. Yeah. Okay, I'm going to steal that line. <laughs> right, next we have the Pareto principle. Oh, classic. This is a pattern of nature in which 80% of the effects result from 20% of the causes. For example, 80% of wealth is held by 20% of people. 80% of computer errors result from 20% of bugs. 80% of crimes are committed by 20% of criminals. 80% of box office revenue comes from 20% of films. I think this is like one of the most broadly applicable things. Like when I first discovered this, 
I started kind of preaching it in every aspect of my life, being like, oh my God, I've got to 80, 20 this. Yeah. Um, I think it's, it's, it's genuinely quite helpful. Yep. It's sick. Yeah. All right. The next one is the Nirvana fallacy. I've 80, 20 my underwear recently. <laughs> I wear 20% of my what underwear. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's really good. Yeah, I do the same. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's you, very you, you good you can turn it inside out upside down back to back <laughs> that's actually like i'm surprised it's, you it's made clever, that. Isn't it? i'm surprised at how good that joke oh, thank is. you thank you oh all right nirvana I, fallacy. I'm, I'm not offended that you're surprised <laughs> uh the nirvana fallacy is when people reject a thing because it compares unfavorably to an ideal that in reality is unattainable for example condemning capitalism due to the superiority of imagined socialism uh, or condemning ruthlessness in war due to imagining humane but unrealistic ways to win. Yeah, I th- this this example is tugging at a few strings in my mind, but I can't really bring any of them to to bear. Yeah, I think this this often comes up in argument in you know, arguments or discussions about things where someone will propose X, and then someone will say uh, X is very far away from the ideal state Y, and therefore X is bad. But not take into but, account but, the fact that Y is totally unrealistic. Uh, yeah, but not, but then not, not actually be able to pose something in between X and Y. Yeah. Uh, so like they, yeah, it's it's always easy to argue against something because it like doesn't meet a certain ideal or whatever. But you know, if you don't have an alternative thing that more closely meets that ideal, it's it's pointless. Like you can basically try and shut anything down that way. Oh, I feel like I. I I feel like I get into this sort of debate with Mimi a few times. Um, yeah, yeah, I hear it all the time. So the example that comes to mind for me is when we're, when I mention, you know, for for example, the fact that I've hired someone to edit my videos. And Mimi's whole spiel is that, well, oh, well, why don't you just do it yourself? Uh, because, you know, in an, in an ideal world, you can do your medical career and take your medical exams and do all of your YouTube videos alongside. You know, it's possible to do everything. And I feel like that is sort of Nirvana fallacy talking because, yeah, sure, it's possible to do everything, but I feel like that's an unattainable ideal. And, you know, to actually get anywhere, you have to pay people to do some stuff for you and, you know, yeah. th- that sort of thing. So I'll be a, hey, Mimi, check out the Nirvana fallacy. Have you not heard of Gurvinder Bogal in his, in his tweet? Nice. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, do you want to read the next one? Yeah, sure. Emotive conjugation. So he says that synonyms can yield positive or negative impressions without changing the basic meaning of a word. For example, someone who is obstinate, a neutral term, can be headstrong, which is positive, or pig-headed, which is negative. This is the basis for much bias in journalism. Oh, this is good, yeah. Another, like, really kind of popular example of this kind of thing is, you know, if a man is, you know, uh, I don't know, like the leader of something, or if, like, you know, He'll be described as, as like, you know, confident or, like, authoritative or something. Mm. Whereas if it's a woman, she'll be described like, bossy or something like that. Yeah. Cool. The next one, anantiodromia. What the hell is that? Uh, funny you should ask. <laughs> uh, it's uh, an excess of something uh, that gives rise to its opposite. For example, a society that is too liberal will be tolerant of tyrants who will eventually make it illiberal. Uh, this guy has a, another blog post where he explains this. Yeah, I think that's a, a thing that happens. So he's basically saying too much of a good thing could be a bad thing. Uh, a, sp- a bad thing, but specifically against the small amount of the good thing. Yeah. Next, we have the halo effect. So when a person sees an agreeable characteristic in something or someone, they assume another agreeable characteristic. 
For example, if a Trump supporter sees someone wearing a MAGA cap, oh, Make America Great Again cap, he's likely to think that person is also decent, honest, hardworking, etc. I think this halo effect is really important. Yeah. So um, the halo effect is one that uh, our friend Paul uh, often, 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 often talked about when we were in medical school. So he was like, Paul was like, like really, uh, like he, he knew his stuff, but he was also very good at presenting his knowledge in like a sort of somewhat pretentious intellectual sounding way. And we'd all kind of laugh at the way he would say something because he would phrase it in such an academic sounding way that I, you know, I would say the same thing. And, you know, I'd sound like a casual, you know, dude off the street, whereas he would say, and he would sound like an educated intellectual person. And he would say that, no, no, it's all, it's all about the halo effect. You know, when they think you're legit, then everything you do becomes legit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And actually the the other day I was, I was assisting in a, in a cesarean section. So, you know, where you cut open the tummy and take baby out. Um, and I was with with a consultant that I hadn't worked with before. And, you know, one of the classic questions you get as an assistant in this operation is, oh, well, you know, I'm just uh, g- cutting apart the abdominal wall. Uh, talk, t- talk to me about the about the layers of the anterior abdominal wall. And you talk about some of those. And, she's, and then she was like, OK, what's this thing over here? And I was like, oh, I think that's the rectus sheath. And she was like, right. And what is the rectus, uh, rectus sheath? And like, you know, I dredged up from like eight years ago, first year anatomy, I said, I think it's, oh, it's the aponeurosis of one of the abdominal muscles. Just, just that word, aponeurosis. She absolutely loved it. She was like, oh, it's incredible when you, it's, it's absolutely incredible when a junior doctor knows what the rectus sheath is. Oh, you've warmed the cockles of my heart. Mm. And then for the rest of this operation, she was loving me. She was like giving me all, like, all the yeah, tips yeah, and she was yeah. assuming that what I was doing <laughs> was because I was such a smart and intelligent person yeah. rather than because I was just kind of making it up as I went along. Yeah. And apparently afterwards, he was saying to the registrars that she was very impressed by me just because because I, you know, pulled this phrase aponeurosis straight out, my, straight out of my urethra. So nice. I think that was like halo effect in action. Love it. I'm glad you found this opportunity for an elaborate brag on the podcast. <laughs> Mate, I don't get the chance to brag enough in real life. You shut me down every time I try it. So I need to, I need to seize all the opportunities I can. Nice. Uh, yeah, I think the halo effect is something to always bear in mind. Like there were so many incidents. Basically, I remember at university, like, you know, I knew people who strongly disliked other people and like the halo effect, you know, what, what, the sort of anti-halo effect was just so obvious where like this, this person they disliked would do something fairly normal or whatever. Like, oh, oh my God, did you see what so-and-so did? Unbelievable. It's like, come on, dude. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> if your mate did that, you'd love it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, cool. Uh, next one is the outgroup homogeneity effect. Uh, which is that we tend to view outgroup members as all the same, uh, e.g. believing all Trump supporters would see someone wearing a MAGA cap and think that that person is also decent, honest, hardworking, etc. Oh, that's clever. That's funny. Um, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I think just, uh, again, multidimensionality and all that. Like, uh, yeah, by, by outgroup here, he, he means uh, people who aren't in, people who you see as like not in your tribe. So, for example, if you are a conservative, you will see liberals as the outgroup and vice versa. Um, and yeah, I think in general, just like thinking about the patterns of thoughts that you fall into when considering the outgroup versus the in-group is a worthwhile thing to do. Because I think most people's patterns of thought are very different in both. Yeah, in a ringing almost. Anyway, next we have the, the Matthew principle. So advantage begets advantage, leading to social, economic, and cultural oligopolies. The richer you are, the easier it is to get even richer. The more recognition a scientist receives for a discovery, the more recognition he'll receive in the fu- for future discoveries, etc. Do, yep. you know, uh, do, you, do you know why this is called the Matthew principle? No. Because there's a line in the book of Matthew in the Bible that says, uh, for, it, it goes along the lines of, um, for for he who has more will be given for he who has not more more will be taken away 
Oh. Um, and so that's just like one of those interesting uh, kind of snippets of wisdom in the Bible that people often bring to mind. As they see, you know, the Bible is actually not as, you know. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Check, checkmate Christians or something like that. Yeah, well, the opposite of that. What? The opposite of that. No. As in people, Wait, use the, people use it as a sort of showing that the Bible is not as, you know, uh, equality for everyone as we would have it. Oh, be. okay. Right. So literally right. checkmate Christians, not okay. checkmate atheists. Right. Uh, cool. The next one is the Peter principle. Uh, I'm sure you're going to tell us which uh, a biblical reference for this one. Uh, yeah. People in a hierarchy, such as a business or government, will be promoted until they suck at their jobs, at which point they will remain where they are. As a result, the world is filled with people who suck at their jobs. Yeah, I first came across this like a few years ago and I was like, oh, that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it. Just like in the context of sort of people being promoted to managers and then just kind of staying there. Yeah. This is in the context of me not knowing anything about how the business world operates. So yeah. take with a, you know, a, a, a table full of salt. But Yeah, this is, no, I've heard this one as well a bunch of times. It sounds nice because it's so like, it's so like, it's quite, you know, quite bold. Mm. Yeah. I'm not, yeah, I'll need to think on that a bit more. Okay, this one looks interesting. Loki's wager, the fallacy where someone tries to defend a concept from criticism or dismisses it as a myth by unduly claiming it cannot be defined. For example, God works in mysterious ways. God of the gaps. Race is, race is biologically meaningless. Lewontin's fallacy. I don't get it. Oh, right. So he, he tells a story here. So here's the, here's the story. So Loki, L-O-K-I, i.e. the Asgardian, I don't know. Loki once made a bet with the dwarf Brock and wagered his head. He lost, and in due time, the dwarves came to collect. Loki had no problem with giving up his head, but insisted that they had absolutely no right to take any part of his neck. Everyone concerned discussed the matter. Certain parts were obviously head, certain parts were obviously neck, but neither side could agree exactly where one ended and the other began. So Loki kept his head indefinitely, although his lips were stitched shut as punishment for getting out of the bet with tricky wordplay. It's pretty funny. He owned those dwarves. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I think I get it. Fallacy where someone tries to defend a concept from criticism by unduly claiming it cannot be defined. But like, why is God works in mysterious ways uh, a fallacy? Uh, I think he's saying that people say things like God works in mysterious ways as a trump card to not address, I don't know, some like criticism or whatever. Oh, okay. So why is there suffering in the world? Well, God works in mysterious ways. Checkmate. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Okay, fine. Okay, we've got a few more of these. So next one is sub-selves. We use, different mental proce- we use different mental processes in different situations. So each of us is not a single character, but a collection of different characters who take turns to commandeer the body depending on the situation. There's an office you, a lover you, an online you, etc. Yeah, love this. Totally buy it. I think this is cool. This ties into, and I haven't actually come across this concept before, this ties into my whole theory that life is a video game and that, that analogy can be applied to everything. I like this one. Uh, yeah, I think we've talked about on the podcast about like the episode. We had an episode about like what does it mean to be authentic, and we talked about like you know what's the real you, and like we're all sort of slightly different with different groups of people and all that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. Well, the next one is uh, Goodhart's law, which is that when a measure becomes a goal, it ceases to become a measure. For example, British colonialists tried to try to control snakes in India. They measured progress by number of snakes killed offering money for snake corpses. Uh, but people responded by breeding snakes and killing them. Uh, this is basically that, like, as soon as any kind of, uh, you know, musical measure metric becomes, like, a target that people should aim for, uh, the point of having a measure or a metric for something is as a proxy for something else that's meaningful. So, for example, 
uh, you know, in, in a business or something, your metric might be number of customers because you think that's a good proxy for revenue because you obviously make revenue from each customer. Um, however, he's saying that every metric can be gamed. And if you're, for example, if your metric is number of customers, you know, if you really want to game that metric and win that particular game, you can get a load of customers and, you know, and let them not pay any money or something like that, mm. whatever. So kind of like, so this is actually something I'm, I'm, I'm actively thinking about with the YouTube thing, because I've been working with this business coach that I think I mentioned a couple of times, and he's big on sort of using KPIs, so key performance indicators and saying, so, you know, you know, at the moment, my videos get about 2 million views a month. And, you know, thinking about what a, a target to aim for is. So, for example, aiming for 2.5 million views a month, you know, by quarter three of 2020. And I've always been a bit like, uh, I feel uneasy about this sort of uh, ha- have, having these different metrics as a sort of goal. Because it just feels, A, like a big part of me feels that defining those sorts of goals is a bit pointless. Because, you know, if you hit them, then you just move the goalpost. And if you don't hit them, then, you know, you feel disappointed, which is a bit pointless. Um, but B, I think there is this thing of when, if you, if you are optimizing for views and like without thinking too hard about it, you can lead, it can lead to some dodgy business practices that you probably wouldn't want to do in the long run. Yeah. Cool. Uh, the next one is radical phase transition and Govinda says, this is his own term that he's coined, uh, which is that extremist movements can behave like solids. Uh, for example, tyrannies, liquids, for example, insurgencies, and gases, for example, conspiracy theories. These are all different kinds of extremist movements, he says. And pressuring them causes them to go from solid to liquid to gas, whereas leaving them uh, causes them to go from gas to liquid to solid. So I guess he's saying if you, like, put pressure on a tyranny, it turns into an insurgency and then a conspiracy theory. Yeah, he's arguing for sort of violence against <laughs> against tyrants because the more you pressurize them, the the, the more they're going to downgrade into an insurgency and right, that's yeah, going to downgrade yeah. into conspiracy theory. Right. Whereas if you leave them on their own, then a conspiracy theory slowly becomes an insurgency, which then becomes a tyranny at some point. Right. That's a bit too far, far too political for me personally, but yeah. Yeah, I don't really have any domain knowledge on that one. Cool. Oh, the next one's a good one. Right, next we've got legibility. We see a complex natural system. Assume that because it looks messy, that it must be disordered. Then impose our own order on it to make it legible. But in removing the messiness, we remove essential components of the system that we couldn't grasp, and it falls. Fails. Damn, I can't read. Wait, why, 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 why do you think this is so good? Sorry? Why do you think this is so good? I think this is good. Not because it, it means that you don't have to tidy your desk. Uh, No. I think this is good because I think it's it's good because it, it's kind of related to the multidimensionality thing where we in we make things legible by reducing their complexity but often by reducing their complexity we get rid of like the meaningful bits of them so almost like um simplifying social interaction to a set of rules exactly and in doing so we get rid of the thing that makes them special uh maybe or maybe not Right, sure. Oh, I think I'm going to like the next one. Shifting baseline syndrome. Frog says to fish, how's the water? Fish replies, what water? We become blind to what we're familiar with. And since the world is always changing and we're always getting used to it, we can even become blind to the slow march of catastrophe. Love it. I wrote a blog post on this. Did you? Oh, yes. I think I, I, think I read that. Yeah. I think I did. I, pro- I probably did. 
Right, next we have the availability cascade. When a new concept enters the era, uh, the arena of ideas, people react to it, thereby amplifying it. The idea thus becomes more popular, causing even more people to amplify it by reacting to it until everybody feels the need to talk about it. Fine. Yeah. <sighs> right. The next one is the Gurinda principle, which is that it is often necessary to eat chocolate cake. Nice. It's good. It's good that he's got some level of self-awareness about this, this thread. Well, the next one is uh, reactance theory, which is uh, when someone is restricted from expressing a point of view or pressured to adopt a different point of view, they usually react by believing their original point of view even more. And he has written a blog post uh, about how to de-radicalize neo-Nazis. Yeah, I find myself actually doing this quite a lot. Like, if I have an idea for something that I want to do, and then Mimi says it's a bad idea, yeah, I will yeah, often yeah. become more convinced yeah, yeah, that it yeah. actually I is the right idea. Yeah. <laughs> um, but when I notice myself doing this, I sort of try and mentally take a step back and think, okay, am I just going against this because I've already decided it's legit, or am I kind of doing it on its own merits? Yeah, I think this is a good one, because I think it's, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 try- I'm on the... The long and arduous journey of trying to undo this particular way of thinking and i think it's i think it's curious that like this is almost the default where with something well i feel like i feel like i'm actually pretty good at this at this point where like you know a few years ago my default reaction to being you know someone like attacking a view of mine or like disagreeing with me would be like my default reaction would be like i must be right i must find a way to like no to to convince this person that i'm right whereas i think now i try and imagine myself more like water you know like if you what's water nice good stuff (laughs) (laughs) you know like if if someone if you someone pushes their hand in some water or something the water just like shifts around it you know like you can't really you can't really attack it because you know there's no you know you know what i mean and more the, the water fits the shape of the container it's in so you're saying you're like water. I'm saying it's helpful to be a bit like water in some circumstances. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, fine. I can get on board with that. <laughs> that makes sense, I guess. All right, next we've got... Right, we're, ne- we're nearly there. We've got like five left. So bear with, bear with us. Next we've got predictive coding. There is no actual movement on a TV screen. Your brain invents it. There are no actual spaces between <coughs> spoken words. Your brain inserts them. Okay. Human perception is like predictive text, replacing the unknown with the expected. And predictive coding leads to apophenia, where we impose our imaginations on arrangements of data, seeing patterns where no such patterns exist. Yep, love this one. Oh, here we go. And a common form of apophenia is narrative fallacy. Love it. When we see a sequence of facts, we interpret them as a story by threading them together into an imagined chain of cause and effect. If a drug addict commits suicide, we assume the drug habit led to the suicide, even if it didn't. Yeah. Talked about that a little bit. Yep. Uh, Another form of apophenia is pareidolia. For eons, predators stalked us in undergrowth and shadow. In such times, survival favored the paranoid, those who could discern a wolf from the vaguest of outlines. This paranoia preserved our species, but cursed us with pareidolia. So now we see wolves even in the skies. Hmm. A bit of a stretch, that one, I think. And that's it. Oh, wow. Uh, We've done all 40. Solid. And our good friend Freddie Harrison actually tagged both of us in this thread saying, I imagine you've already come across this, but just in case you haven't, this feels like your jam. Oh. Thank you, Freddie. Yeah, thanks, Freddie, man. Much appreciated. We did a podcast with Freddie uh, quite, quite a few months ago. What was, what was Freddie's mate's name? Jack? I think so, yeah. Yeah, Jack and Freddie. I didn't realize Fre- Fre- Freddie worked at Sketch. That's pretty cool. Pretty cool. Actually, it's problematic that you said that. 
Why is it problematic? <laughs> <for that? laughs> Let's not go into it. <laughs> what, what, because I didn't say Fred, Freddy's pretty cool for being a human being? Yes. I said he's pretty cool because he works at Sketch. Yes. Right. <laughs> well, we've got all night. <laughs> Do you want to hang out now? We don't have all night. <laughs> oh, guys, I'm really tired and I have to sleep. Right, I think we should end by reading a review. Um, what did you think of that thread? I don't know, man. I mean, I feel like Naval's How to Be a Rich one was a lot more interesting. Yeah, the thing about all this, like, mental model stuff is, like, uh, I think a thread uh, like this, it's, like, it's, it's, it's basically... It's, 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 it's basically, it's, it's, like, sweets for people who are already yeah, in the know. That's, like, a, that's exactly what I was going to yeah. say. Like it's, <laughs> it's just it's just like part of the circle joke, isn't it? Like the pe- the people that already know what all this stuff means will think, oh yeah, you know, I'm I'm going to like this tweet because it's summarizes the 280 characters. This thing I already know about. All right, I think that's slightly harsher than what I was going to go for. Well, what were you going to go for? I was going to go for. I think it's a bit like ca- uh, the, the sweets analogy. I, I was going to say it's a bit like candy in that you kind of read that and you get the little like uh, the jolt of insight of like oh oh that's cool oh look at that. And uh, you get it if you if you know the thing you get it because like oh yeah I knew that one yeah go me and if you don't know the thing it's like oh that's so uh, that's uh, that's cool whatever but I think like with all this like mental model stuff the hard part is actually internalizing these things and no tweet thread is actually going to help you do that and okay. so like if you actually want to you know internalize these things you really have to do a lot of work outside of this thread but like I think people just like lists of things. I think this is well demonstrated on the internet. And uh, yeah, this mental model stuff is kind of, uh, it's, it's candy. It's Twitter candy. I don't know. I think it is useful to have this sort of stuff um, because, you know, maybe it's the seventh time that you've heard this thing about the availability heuristic or whatever. And that, yeah. that repetition of it makes you internalize it a little bit more than the last time. So I think it is valuable. Um, I think the difficulty with a, with a thread like this is where he's kind of going for 40 concepts that are all very, very general and trying to apply to lots of different things. It's really hard to do in a way that's actually meaningful because by virtue of the fact that you're trying to cover a broad range of topics, you're going to be going very shallow in each one. Whereas something like Naval's thread on how to get rich without getting lucky is like a very specific thing that he's going for. And therefore it feels like you can be more more specific and more nuanced about the different things leading to that rather than having to be so broad and generalist. Yep. You get me? Cool. Do you want to read a review and then we'll call it a night? All right. And you are editing this one because I edited the last, like, five. So, screw you. All right. We're calling this on a Monday, so I've got all week. Oh, yeah, it is Monday. Oh, no. I, ne- I needed to email my physiology students, like, the essays for the week. And I was meant to send it to them on, like, Thursday night. And I haven't, and it's Monday. I might, I might just not give them homework this week. But they seem to enjoy getting homework, which is, all, really? which was a bit surprising to me, yeah. Are you sure about that? Yeah, like on the days where I'm like, guys, you know, should we set some homework this week? There's always one or two that are like, yeah, yeah, do it. It's really helpful. And I'm like, oh, damn, I need to set some homework this week. I'm like two weeks behind on marking the essays as well. What is life? Mate. I hope none of them listen to this podcast. I think I think a few of them actually do. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, uh, here is one from Seriously No uh, in Canada. Uh, the title is Love Hearing Their Different Perspectives on Things. Very thoughtful. It's a five-star review. And uh, Seriously No says, just recently got into the whole podcast thing. This one is really fun to hear and got some really unique perspectives. Made me, want, made me wonder and think back to my own experiences. The guys are so thoughtful, articulate, and frankly helped me make sense of things a bit too. I'm a fan. I think I binge listened to 10 of them. Definitely looking forward to more. Oh, Thanks, Sam. That's really nice of you to say. Seriously, no. Oh, sorry. I don't know why I said Sam. 
I don't know why you said Sam. Sorry, seriously, no. Thank you very much for that for that review. That's a very nice review. Um, thank you. Do we have any insights this week, Ollie? Um, no. Ah, someone uh, did a tweet. Someone done a tweet that I liked. This was my insight of the week. The tweet was, I love when people send Facebook friend requests after meeting you. It's so nice. I totally agree. Oh, It's a great feeling. That's nice. Like you've just met someone new, you had a good time, and then later that evening you see that they've added you on Facebook or followed you on Twitter. Yeah, I feel like the adding on Facebook thing is <laughs> a bit old school. It's a bit passe. Yeah. Um, all right, we'd all better right. end it there. Good insight of the week. See you next week.